Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. She, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let us begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that bears testimony to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most pivotal event in all of human history. Father, we need your spirit to illuminate your word to our hearts that we might see, that we might hear and understand, that we, like John, might believe. Do you grant that to us now? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we have been working through John's gospel, and the past couple of weeks have been kind of dark. We've gone into details about what a scourging would have looked like at the hands of the Romans, the amount of flesh that would have been removed. We talked about the pain of a crucifixion, the depth of being pierced by a spear. The great darkness that had fallen upon Christ, the great darkness that he endured, continued on for another day. 
we're given no details of what happened between the time when Jesus was buried on Friday and when Mary comes on this Sunday morning. It was the Sabbath day. No doubt the disciples would have still been abiding by the Sabbath laws in Jerusalem at the time. But you know they must have been mourning greatly. Confused at the fate that their Lord had succumbed to. In the mind of most people at this time, when they thought of the Messiah being the king, they thought he would have established for himself an earthly rule, had overthrown the Roman rule, not be crucified by their enemies. Disappointed, sorrowful, sitting in darkness. But it's in darkness where light begins to shine the brightest. I'm sure you've all had this experience where you are in a dark room and even the smallest amount of light all of a sudden becomes so luminous. Our kids, when we put them to bed, we try to minimize the amount of lights possible, right, so that they stay calm and and feel the sleep uh, come upon them. But we often turn on some music or an audiobook, and there's just this little blue light on their CD player. And after a few minutes in the dark, well, that blue light illuminates all of the details of the room because we've made it so dark with the blackout drapes, because it's now so dark so early. And that is what is happening here in the resurrection. It has been the darkest hour in human history. The Son of God has been put to death by the hands of the Roman enemies. Furthermore, he has been buried in a tomb, and his disciples have been, no doubt, weeping in confusion. John has used this imagery of darkness and light many times in his gospel. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And it appeared for a moment that the light of the world had been snuffed out. And we're told here at the beginning of our verse that Mary came while it was still the dark. At the the break of dawn, before the sun had made its way over the horizon. We're told that she comes on the first day of the week. So the first day of the week, as we record it in the Jewish calendar right after the Sabbath, would have been Sunday, the first day, the day of resurrection. Now what's important about this is a couple of things. First, this is where we begin to see the pattern of the disciples worshiping on Sunday instead of on Saturday. We'll find out later. Jesus shows up to them as they're gathered together on the first day of the week. Once again, as he reveals himself to them. And we see in the book of Acts that they gathered together on the Lord's Day for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the prayers, and the fellowship. It is so monumental that this happens on the first day that it changes even the most codified day of worship from all of creation. Remember, the Sabbath is not just a Mosaic law. It is rooted in God's rest on the seventh day in creation. 
which is one thing I want to touch on before we get further into our text. What John is presenting for us is a new creation account. We are moving like in the book of Genesis when darkness was over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. So we have been in the darkness of the world, the Son of God slain. One of the other gospel accounts tells us that darkness indeed miraculously came over all of the land for three hours as Jesus died on the cross. And here, on the first day, Light is about to dawn. Our passage today really focuses in on this figure, Mary. If you're familiar with her, she was a woman who Jesus exercised a bunch of demons out of. The one who washed his feet with her hair. The one who he says, who has forgiven much, loves much. Mary is the pinnacle of an example of gratefulness for the redemption and forgiveness that she's receiving from the hand of Jesus. No pretense about her previous life. Instead, fully trusting in Christ and his grace. And so she comes to the tomb. Now we're told in the other accounts she's likely with two other women. But we're focused here. John is focusing for a particular reason on Mary. All of the accounts give us different perspectives of the same event. And so Mary shows up and she sees that the stone has been removed from the tomb. Now, if you have seen pictures of tombs and coloring books, it's usually this big round, you know, perfectly cut out rock that they would have just, you know, rolled away. More likely than that would have been a pretty exact cut rock, more or less, that would have been pushed into the crevice of the tomb. And when Mary sees this, her immediate response isn't that Jesus has risen. Why would it be? We're told even Peter and John, when they see what has happened, John tells us they didn't really understand the scriptures yet, that Jesus had to raise from the dead. You see, he's writing this way after the fact. Once they had worked out how Jesus fulfilled The Old Testament. Once they had come to grips with his resurrection, they went back and they saw the scriptures when Jesus taught his disciples on the road to Emmaus how all of Moses and the prophets pointed to him and their hearts burned within them. They hadn't figured it all out yet. And so when Mary sees that the tomb has been opened, she assumes that it has been robbed. Would have been a a common You know, not super common, but certainly something much more common than resurrections. Somebody might get into a tomb, especially of someone of prominence, hoping that there might be some goods left with them. Even perhaps to steal the linens off of the body or the spices that were put onto them. So Mary sees the scene and she immediately leaves and she goes and tells Simon and John. The other disciple here is implied that that's John who's writing to us. She says, the Lord, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. She's coming to, again, put on these spices on Jesus to anoint his body 
out of respect and reverence and her mourning. And she shows up. She knows that he's gone. And so Peter and John, well, they get up and they begin to run to the tomb. If somebody's robbed of the tomb, they want to go and see that they might be able to do something about it. And John so humbly tells us that he's faster than Peter. And he tells us twice that he beats Peter. And he records it for us for thousands of years of believers to know that John is faster than Peter. And they get there, right? And so John gets there and he looks into the tomb. And what does he see? He sees linen cloths lying there. He doesn't go in. Indeed, they're probably afraid. It's barely probably beginning to show some light. They assume that this grave has been robbed. Indeed, uh, being a grave robber was a very serious offense at this time. If you were to be caught, the punishment was quite severe. So they wouldn't even want to be mistaken for grave robbers themselves. And so he looks, and as Peter arrives, you know, slow old Peter... Peter, more bold than John, actually goes into the tomb, likely needing to crawl into it. And he sees not only the linens, but also the face cloth folded up and set aside. What's interesting here is that John bears witness, especially to these linens. Indeed, both. Peter and John see the linens. There's two witnesses to say this is really what happened. Indeed, if there would have been a grave robber and they were going to take Jesus' body for some reason, which would have been somewhat odd to do, but let's say that's what they were going to do, it would have been very unlikely that they would have unwrapped his body and then left those linens, which would have been worth something, behind. In fact, the way that this is constructed tells us that the linen cloths as we understand Jesus' resurrection, they never moved. But only the face cloth that somebody had folded up. They're painting for us an apologetic for the scene. Something strange has happened. Indeed, something miraculous has happened. And they both see it. And when John sees it, we're told that he believes. Verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went in. And he saw. And he believed. He didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. He was there at the foot of the cross as he saw Jesus die. He was the one who was given the responsibility to care, to care for Jesus' mother. These are the leaders in the church. They didn't understand, even though Jesus had told them time and time again that he would die. They didn't think he would die and that he would rise again. And yet they did not understand. But here, John goes and he sees this scene. He sees the linen cloths. And there's no explanation except for him to believe that indeed Jesus has risen. 
the linens are the proof. We're not told what's going on in Peter's head. Indeed, I'm sure he was puzzled as much as all of them were. And as John believes, perhaps it's not a full understanding of everything that has happened. But it is clear that Jesus' body was not stolen. And as they pondered these things, they went to their own homes. But Mary stays there. She doesn't understand what has happened. She refuses to believe anything good has happened here. And she is weeping outside the tomb. The most precious, treasured person in her life. The one who bestowed the most grace and mercy, who even acknowledged her presence, let alone offered her forgiveness and dignity and new life, not only has died, but his body appears to have been taken from her, and she is beside herself weeping. And when she looks into the tomb for herself to get a picture of what has just happened, she sees two angels. One at the feet and one at the head. Once again, we have these two witnesses. When we have angels showing up in the Bible, oftentimes they show up in pairs or more than that. It's this indication that, well, God must be at work doing something. And indeed, that is what is happening here. And as Mary sees these angels, she doesn't even connect the dots at this point. And they ask her, not in an inquiry way, but kind of in a why would you be weeping type way. Woman, why are you weeping? Right? There's two angels in here. You don't understand what's going on. And her response is still that she just thinks somebody has taken the Lord. And she wanted to pay her respects to his body, and she can't do that anymore. She can't mourn. It would be as if one of your loved ones died out at war, and they never recovered their body, and you couldn't even have a real funeral. You couldn't see their body one more time or place a rose on their coffin before it is lowered into the ground. You are left to mourn by yourself with no tangible way to have closure. And as she says these things, she senses another person there with her. She turns, and it's Jesus, and she can't tell that it's Jesus. And you might think, how is that possible? Well, there's probably two explanations. One, if you are weeping uncontrollably, oftentimes it's difficult to see. It's also quite dark at this time. But there's also the reality that Jesus shows up another time to his disciples and they don't understand who he is either so somehow jesus has the miraculous ability to conceal his identity in his new glorified resurrected body so he says to her woman why are you weeping who are you seeking she thinks he's the gardener 
She says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Perhaps Jesus wasn't supposed to be put in this tomb. He was just put there hurriedly because it was nearby. And this man is in charge of making sure things are in order. So he maybe was told to take the body out and to put it somewhere else. This is what she has in mind here. And Jesus, with one word, reveals himself to her, saying, Mary. She responds, teacher. She sees Jesus. She now understands that he is no longer in the tomb, not because he was taken away, but that he lives again and is standing now in front of her. I can only imagine what her response would have been. We're told here that Jesus tells her not to cling to him. No doubt she flung herself probably at his feet in thanksgiving, in worship, in awe, in right, 100% emotional response to what has just happened. Here is the one she has loved so dearly, and now she thought he was gone forever, and she couldn't even mourn over his body, and now he is standing there. Teacher. No doubt, grabbing onto him as tightly as a parent would when a missing child is found and reunited with their parent. And it's interesting what Jesus says to her Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. And to my God and to your God. First, Jesus isn't trying to say, like, hey, you know, you don't need to, don't give me a hug. It's, what Jesus is trying to assure her of is that there is still time. Jesus isn't going anywhere. He has raised from the dead. He is here. He is going to be ascending, but that has not happened yet. There's no need to cling to me. Don't worry, Mary. I'm going nowhere yet. In fact, you need to go and tell. My brothers, not my disciples, my brothers, that he, I am ascending. And then you have this beautiful verse here. Indeed, this is perhaps one of the most wonderful descriptions of the gospel in all of the New Testament. Perhaps one that we aren't 100% familiar with. Jesus is ascending to his Father and to your Father. And to his God and to your God. He wants her to tell his brothers. You see, through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, he has forever changed the status of his people. Not merely as ones to be taught. Right? She calls him teacher, Rabboni. He calls them brother and sister. They have the same father. It reminds me of this scene from the book of Ruth. If you are familiar with the story, Naomi and Ruth are outside of the people of God, outside of Bethlehem. They go away because there's a famine. And they have to come back after all of the husbands die. Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to just stay with her people. But Ruth clings to Naomi. And she won't go away. And she says, 
Your people will be my people, and your God is my God. Now, interestingly, Ruth goes, and she ends up marrying a man named Boaz, and their son is in the line of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a change that happened. It didn't matter that her husband had died. Her connection to Naomi, her mother-in-law, was no longer through the son that she had born. But now she was going to be named among the people of God. Their family would be her family. Their God would be her God. She was going to worship with God's people. And Jesus, in like manner here, is declaring to this woman who is clinging to him, I am going to the Father, my Father, the one I've been talking about all the time, the one who orchestrated everything that was going to pass, who restrained me from doing certain things, who told me everything that I said and did. But he's not just my Father, he's your Father, which means you're his child. He's your God. Mary then goes back. She does what Jesus says. She announces to the disciples that she's seen the Lord. And she recounts what he said to her. John is painting for us The beginning of the break of light into the darkness. The beginning, the first day of the new creation. When no longer will we be called servants, but friends. Indeed, sons and daughters of God. That the light which comes through Jesus' resurrection, not only brings him and ascends him to the Father here not many days later, but is the promise that we too can have this life, that we too can have this relationship with the Father, our God. We didn't get to see the cloth. We didn't get to see the head covering folded up. But that's why God has preserved his word for us. That is why John has written these things down. That's what he's going to tell us later on in this chapter. Lots of other stuff happened. But John's telling you that he saw this, the way it happened. This is how it happened. This is what Mary did. She came and got us. Me and Peter went. I'm faster than Peter, by the way. And when I got there, I saw the linen cloths. They weren't unbound. Jesus disappeared. And then Mary came and she told us that she had seen the Lord. We'll see many more proofs of his resurrection in the last part of this gospel. It's in the other gospels. That's why there are four gospels, so that there aren't just one witness or two witnesses. But many. In fact, Jesus showed himself to over 500 people at the time. One thing was sure at this point, that the tomb was empty. And John wants to tell you why. 
And if you understand why, if God's Spirit is revealing to you why, you too can see this testimony. You can hear what John has said. You can weigh the evidence, if you will. But ultimately, you must be drawn to the same place that he was. And you must believe. And it's through this belief, it's through faith, not only that Christ was this person who lived a long time ago, and perhaps he was a good teacher, but ultimately he died at the hands of Roman people, and we're not really sure what came of him after that. No, Jesus is no mere historical figure. John wants us to understand the miraculous nature of this event, the unexplainable details that he has laid down for us. So that we might believe, and that by believing, we can say that God is our Father, just as He is Jesus' Father. That through the resurrection and through the giving of God's Spirit at Pentecost, we are ushered in to His household, made co-heirs with Christ, our inheritors of all of the riches and benefits that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news, that Jesus has ascended. He is with his Father, your Father, his God, and your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus has overcome the grave. Father, help us to believe. Help us to look at these witness accounts, to be convinced not on our own cunning understanding, but by the power of your Spirit, that it would cause us to have faith, to trust in you for the life that we can't have on our own. Father, we thank you that Christ's power has made us into your children, that we can confess you are our Father and our God. Help us to cherish these truths in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.